Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Paul Nichols, the investor coach, pulling back the curtain on the financial services industry and exposing the truth about money and investing. Welcome to It's Your Money. We are at the beginning of a new year. Isn't it exciting? Another year rolls around. I guess that depends on how old you are, right? But 2019, here we are, 2019. What a crazy year 2018 was in the area of finances. Uh, hopefully, you had a, a happy and prosperous uh, 2018, and, and I wish you the best for 2019. I wanted to go through a couple things with you uh, right now today, and that is a little bit of a market update in hindsight. Uh, that is 2018 in hindsight. I wanted to chat a little bit about the volatility of the Dow and what it is, uh, and then chat a little bit about the Fed. So I have a kind of a hodgepodge of different items that I'd like to cover with you uh, today that uh, hopefully is intended to, give, to um, give you some kind of insight as it relates to what the heck is going on with this volatility in the market. You know, I have found that people love volatility when the market's up. Uh, when it's down, it gets a little tougher. That's why it's so vital to have someone work with you to determine what your sleep factor is. You know that uh, uh, we deal with numbers in finance, and numbers are quantifiable, different things, uh, and based on stati uh, statistical, historical data, uh, these uh, math wizards have got the math pretty much figured out as it relates to standard deviation and different formulas, and without getting too technical, um, we can give you a pretty solid idea within a high degree of certainty uh, what a downturned market could look like. I mean, you, you look at the last 100 years, we had 1929. Uh, a lot of people don't realize in, in 30, the market was up a couple hundred percent and averaged uh, uh, 31 through 35, 1935, I believe it was 40% plus per year. They never hear about those numbers, you just hear about the crash. Uh, 73 and 74 was a rough time. A little bit of a blip in 87 with Black Monday, nothing that really was consequential as it related to the year as a whole. Of course, oh wait, uh, so when we look at the last 100 years plus, we're really looking at uh, three major downturns in the market. This certainly, uh, what we're going through right now wouldn't be comparable to those, although it is uh, rather dramatic. Uh, so let me, let me hit on that. Uh, the Dow Jones, it's interesting. What is the Dow Jones? It represents 30 very large, we could say mega large companies in the United States. It's an index. It looks at those 30 companies and based on how they do, it reports a number. Uh, what's interesting about the Dow Jones is the 10 biggest one-day losses in the Dow Jones have happened in the last 10 years which is interesting. Um, and this could, this is points, but percentage, same thing, only different. Uh, one would attribute that, I would, as a professional uh, investment advisor in this industry, I would attribute it to not the accessibility of technology. See, the idea is that technology has made things greater, but people still run the technology. What ends up happening is now is we have more people that have access to the market at a greater rate, and you're actually seeing more volatility. So uh, access to the market isn't necessarily a good thing. Of course, a lot of trading isn't done by you, the individual trader listening to this or individual investor, but more so professional traders that are money market managers and so on and so forth, pension managers and so on. But when we look at the volatility, the volatility becomes significant if you're not acting within the prudence of academia and investing. In other words, there are three prudent rules. Own equities, stocks, diversify, umbrella suntan lotion, and rebalance. So volatility for those that are disciplined and understand an academic approach and are coached up and stay disciplined and true to that and have mechanisms that, that filter and rebalance and so on, uh, what ends up happening is it's times like this that really, in hindsight, become incredible opportunities. Of course, you know, most people you talk to or you listen to in the financial arena all would agree that in the long term, there's no question what the market does. It's always hit new highs and so on. So short-term blips and what we're dealing with right now is nothing to react to, rather to be proactively understanding 
the reality of how the market works. It goes up, it goes down. Now, we can explain uh, why the market is as volatile as it has been the last year. Uh, we can't understand it, but we can explain it. I, mean, I shouldn't say that. We, uh, it's hard for me to wrap my head around uh, the volatility. There's just no reason for it. It's, it's pure speculation um, as to what's going on. Now, let's move on to the Fed. I want to talk a little bit about the Fed because so many people don't really understand it, and I'm not sure that I totally understand it. There's lots of theories and different readings, and I've read about it for years and how it was formed. It is a little bit interesting how it was formed. It seemed to be a little bit of a shady deal in the initially with some very large industrial magnates that uh, uh, were involved in creating uh, this financial institution in off uh, the coast of North Carolina in Jekyll Island back in 1913. And I think it's interesting uh, that that stayed. But basically, what is the Fed? The Fed is the Federal Reserve Central Banking System of the United States. It was created back in 1913. Okay. The idea was that there was a number of financial panic type scenarios back then, and they wanted to have some type of system to control all that. Uh, the Fed's basically has three predominant objectives, according to Congress. So this is when they went through and approved all this in December of 1913. There were three primary objectives for monetary policy in the Federal Reserve Act, which was the act that uh, became the Fed. One was maximizing employment, two was stabilizing prices, and three was moderating long-term interest rates. So their intent was to, as as the economy moved along, to kind of monitor it and, and adjust the potential interest rates accordingly. It wasn't to anticipate or to affect the economy. Rather, it was to be semi-reactive, proactive, and understand a monetary supply as things, as things go along. So, you know, how does, it, how does the Fed affect the economy? Well, you know, as prices of goods and services increase, then the value of money decreases because it takes more money to buy the same widget. As inflation increases, the value of money decreases and the Federal Reserve counters by increasing interest rates. So what they're trying to do basically is manage the interest rate so that the supply of money that goes to the banks is in commensurate with the current economic environment. Here's the issue, the issue at hand and why you hear so many people talking about we don't want the Fed involved and there seems to be intrusive and so on. The main issue is this, is the market is basically anticipating things. That is the, the market mechanisms, what's going to happen moving forward. The reason that the Fed has such a huge impact on the market is because they set the interest rate level. So what, what banks and, and then bonds, uh, T-bills, which are like government CDs, CDs, interest at banks, all this is piggybacked off of the interest rate that the Fed charges banks. Banks tack on a little bit of spread or, or their fee, if you will, a little more interest rate, and they sell it to you and I, okay? So what ends up happening is as the interest rates go up, money moves out of stocks and other areas into bonds and CDs and more things like that. So you have like these, I call them corrections. They're called correction. It's more like a, a rebalancing of the global portfolio situation. What that does then is it creates a, a, a certain amount of uncertainty in the marketplace. Should we put our money in equities, stocks and companies? Should we take less money in equities and put more in fixed? Uh, what's the Fed going to do moving forward? For example, it's interesting. There was not one rate hike from 2008 to 2015, not one rate hike. I was basically the, the, the interest rate was zero that banks borrowed money at, which is, we don't want to have that, obviously. That's not a good thing. Uh, 2015, there was one quarter point interest rate, 25 basis points or a quarter of 1%. 
2016, there was one. Then 2017 and 18 came along, and there have been seven. Now, the economy is doing good, but here's the reality of all this. When the economy now is doing really well, the Fed says, well, we can bump up the interest rate. The economy can handle that. They're, they're, they're doing better. Okay, there's a lot of money flowing out there. Well, that's a good thing. We want to we wanna manage all this. But, they've, but here's the issue. They've done it at a rate that's been rather aggressive. That's not the major deal, though. But more so, it's the anticipated understanding of what the Fed's going to do moving forward. You know, that's why you hear these things. The Fed is broadcasting. What are they broadcasting? Well, they're, 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 they're kind of, it looks like they're going to head this way or that way. And so a lot of outfits are gambling on if interest rates are a quarter more or a quarter less. That could be a big difference in their profit margin. So what, what we have is a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace as to what the interest rates are going to be long term and how aggressive the Fed's going to be. What created so much disturbance in the market in 2018, especially toward the end of the year, was the fact that the market had planned on having two, basically two Fed upticks, normally at a quarter point each, a quarter of a percent or about a half a point total. But a year and a half ago, we were at one and a half percent, we're at two and a half. Now they've had four. So it's been a rather dramatic increase. And they're broadcasting, if you will, an intention of doing that a couple times next year. And so that's really got the market kind of a little uncertain. We're not, they're not exactly sure which way to move. This is coupled dramatically right now in 2018. I'm getting ready to go through the market update and why it's not very good this year is we have kind of a global thing going on. We have have the issue with the Fed. We have the issue with a lot of hyperactive trading. We have another issue uh, related to tariffs. Now, the tariffs, I don't believe, are the major issue, although there's been a lot of rumbling and bumbling about that and working out trade deals. The bigger issue is in some European and especially Asia, China would be the the biggest uh, of all these is slowing down. I mean, this is not a new thing. This wasn't created by tariffs. China's been slowing down for a while. This is nothing new. And when you get a a report like we had this morning, it's January 4th as of this morning. Uh, uh, But you get a report this morning where Apple uh, has a dramatic decrease, not a dramatic, but a decrease in their uh, their dividend expectation and earnings, their stock is dramatically dropped. And the main reason for that is 20% of Apple's businesses in China. A- and China's economy as a whole is rather sluggish and sluggard, and it's going to continue to do that. So ladies and gentlemen, you, when you see all the news, it's really just little soundbite type of uh, sentences th- that, that may portray a different perception or picture than the reality. There's a reason the market's going through what it is, primarily precipitated by the Fed and their uh, uh, lack of clarity for the market as a whole, uh, their aggressive uh, stance that they've taken, which creates a pensive or a pause for a lot of the market and where money's flowing. We have trade deals that are in the works, but more importantly, we have situations where there's certain parts of the world that are slowing. They're not they're not booming like we are. Every economic indicator, and I spend a couple hours every morning on this stuff, okay? Every economic indicator that you can see out there uh, is, is good. Uh, I mean, even gold is holding and and gold is is purely a panic. So when you start seeing it really dramatically going up, which it's been just inching a little bit over the last bit of bubble, that that's always a sign. So uh, there's really underlying economics and finance and everything that's going on is really, really good. We're just having some blips as it relates to us moving from a rather stagnant economy for roughly a decade into a little more growth. Uh, the Fed's adjusting to that. We're also in a very unique, and I believe, 
one of the best positions we've ever been in geopolitically, financially, uh, to really work out some of these trade deals whenever China is struggling like they are right now, which, you know, it's not a good thing for them, and we don't wish that on them, but we need to recognize that fact. And this may be a great opportunity to use that as a little bit of leverage to get some some trade deals that are really win-wins across the board, and they're not, they're not lopsided, which would mean good for everybody involved. Uh, so at this point, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to react to. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to change if, in fact, you do have a well-diversified global portfolio that is based on asset classes, not sectors, and encompasses the entire global marketplace, emerging markets, developed markets, small value growth, all the different areas, then rebalancing, own equities, diversify, rebalance. Uh, This is nothing uh, but a blip on the radar uh, in the long term. And of course, your money is going to be in the market until you expire. More than likely, it's going to be in there after that for those that are blessed with any of it that's left over. So, you know, people say to me every so often, I'll hear somebody say, Paul, geez, you don't understand, man. You're talking about 2020. 25-year time frames, brother, I'm retiring next year. Well, I realize you're 65 and retiring next year, 60 or whatever that is, but you're, but you're probably got 25 or 30 years till you check out. When does your money need to last till? Till you retire or till you check out? Till you check out. So a lot of these rules of thumb, I'm 65, move most of my money to cash and stick it in the mattress or bonds is ridiculous. Uh, there's no steadfast, customized rule of thumb that fits all, all situations and people, uh, but rather uh, it's just the opposite to that. It's purely about sleep factor and understand the market long term has always hit new eyes. It'll continue unless something dramatic changes as the way we do business in this country. With that being said, let me tie off real quick with exactly what the numbers are for 2018. And I saved it for last because it's not, you know, not fun to talk about when the market's down. I don't refer to it as losses when the market's down. It's paper. It's an unrealized loss. It's only realized if you lock it in. Uh, so when it's down, these are opportunities to take some of the portfolio of yours that's cash and fix, which it should be, and buy some of these equities up when they're at a deal. Because right now, here's where we are. As of 2018 year-end, S&P 500, which represents U.S. large, 6.9% to the negative. Russell 1000, large value, 8.7% to the negative. Russell 2000, which measures index. These are different indexes in the marketplace, which measures U.S. small cap or micro companies down double digits. We're 11.3% down, almost 11.4. When we get into small value, it's a little bit more than that. It's 12%. So we're anywhere between seven roughly and almost 13% down in the U.S. market arena. What that means is through rebalancing, you should have more shares of that. The balances may be lower, but your share count should be higher as you're rebalancing on that. Because understand, when we talk about rebalancing, you're not going and defensively changing what you have. You're buying more of what you have and selling some of what you have. You should never have anything new. That's not rebalancing. That would be chasing the market. Stock picking, market timing, track record investing don't work. There's not one shred of empirical evidence to support them. But yet, everywhere you look, they're used in very creative marketing techniques. But that's a whole other conversation. Morgan Stanley, let's go international. Morgan Stanley, Capital International. When we look at the world, uh, the actual wor- Morgan Stanley Capital National World, which is uh, uh, excludes the U.S., so it basically looks at all the developed marketplaces like Australia, Austria, Canada, Germany, uh, Japan, New Zealand, Portugal, Switzerland, U.K., just to name a few, uh, the large countries, the developed countries. Uh, 
Not doing too well last year, 17% down. We look at emerging market, or the, uh, I'm sorry, Europe, Australia, Far East, and just that area, excluding US and Canada, uh, we're about 17% as well to the negative. When we look at um, the value, EFA, same thing, uh, European value instead of growth, it's down all 18, almost 19%. And the worst of them uh, is the uh, small cap, EFA. Uh, Europe, Australia, Far, Far East. Again, these are more developed areas. So in the developed arena internationally, large, small across the board, it's it's not good. Uh, it's one of those years. And it's interesting because it was the best asset class last year. When we go to emerging markets, it's uh, comparably down about the same 18 point, 18.18%. Uh, and it was, the, it was 40% last year. The previous year, it was down 20%. Go figure. I mean, you go from negative 20% to positive 40% to now negative 20%. That's volatility in the marketplace, but we all love volatility when it's up. And if you're rebalancing in in a religious, specific, scientific manner, you're going to catch whatever gains are up. I hope it was a prosperous year for you, 2018. Uh, We certainly have high hopes and expectations for 2019. Let me offer a little bit of confidence. When you look at the market as a whole, it has a two-thirds bias. Two out of every three years uh, is up. One out of every three years is down. You just never know which it is until hindsight. Hindsight's 2020. But the market always hits new highs. You want to be in the market. You want to be in the global marketplace. And these opportunities, ladies and gentlemen, go against the gut reaction. The gut reaction is to hunker down and foxhole it when you have a negative market. No, that's when you charge. That's when you charge. That's when you jump out of the foxhole and you take off and charge uh, and add more money if you have it or disposable money here and there. You take advantage of these opportunities when it's down. That's about as close to market timing as we're going to get. But if you're religiously putting it in regularly, cultishly, if you will, uh, then what ends up happening is you're going you're gonna to capture the market uh, up and down across the board and there's more ups than there are downs. With that being said, that's my hindsight 2018, a little explanation of what's going on in the market, where we're headed. Um, At this point, the main thing is understand that you don't need to know everything if you have someone teaching you the few right things. And if you don't have someone teaching you the few right things, I encourage you to find someone to help you with that. You know, education leads to clarity. Clarity leads to confidence. And only with confidence can one really harbor peace of mind, especially in the financial arena. I challenge you to think about that. In how many areas can we really find peace of mind? We can find them in certain areas, but boy, finance is really tough. And most people don't have peace of mind. And you think about how much time and effort we spend chasing dollars. And I'll tell you, I often say this to couples, couples that tell me they don't argue about money, I believe will lie about other things. <laughs> Look, uh, you know, we all spend a lot of time and effort in our in our lives chasing money. Uh, shouldn't we know a little bit about it? You know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist or get a PhD, but you do need to understand a little bit. I always think of my wife. My wife says to me, I'm not interested in any of that. You take care of that. And I appreciate the vote of confidence that she gives me in that arena. But the reality is I say to her, look, if I'm not here, I need you to know enough to recognize slick and slicker, okay? So some of us don't want to know about this stuff. You don't need to know a lot about it, but you do need to know a little bit, enough to recognize slick 
and Slicker. With that being said, my name is Paul Nichols. I'm the host of It's Your Money and president of Financial Abundance, a registered investment advisory firm located in State College. Yes, that's Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. State College, Pennsylvania. We call it Happy Valley. Um, And if you have any questions or would like to learn more about what we do, faicoach.com is a great source, faicoach.com. You can call us directly for some of you that might be old school, 814-867-5745. We've got all kinds of tools and things to help you get coached up. We believe that education does lead to clarity and clarity to confidence. Why don't you come get some? Have a great day. Wish you well. Take care.